When I was a young man, I carried my pack and I lived the free life of a rover. From the Marines. All right. Welcome to the History and Music Podcast. Um, this is Scott Gifford, your host, and I'm joined by my awesome co-host, Sean. How's it going? Uh, could be better, but I'm happy to be here, man. Oh, what happened? Well, I uh, today I was working in the yard, as I often do, and I was breaking apart some PVC pipe to put them in the garbage can, and a piece flew up and smacked me in the face, in the mouth specifically, split my lip open in three places, and broke two teeth. So... I got wow. back from the I got I just got back from the urgent care like maybe an hour or two ago. Good news is I have both my legs and I can waltz Matilda. <laughs> well, yeah, so, that is good news. I don't know, you know if Matilda you, will want to waltz with the toothless, <laughs> toothless <laughs> Wonder, Sean. Yeah, well, it, you know, it, it, you got to look on the bright side, man. Bright side, you know, yep. white pilled. Yep, totally. Um, and we are also joined by Andrew Oborn from. Uh, I guess for me from Twitter, but um, how's it going, Andrew? Uh, good. Very happy to be here. I must say that the Hemster campus, the history and music fan campus is enormous. My wife and kids have been having a really good time at the four water parks you guys have here, amusement parks, everything. It's just, I've been treated like royalty here. So it's been, it's been very nice to be here at the, the, the Hemster campus. So thank you for having me. Well, we're glad you could make it out. Did you have any trouble with the valet? Uh, no, no. Valley was great. The private jet you guys sent uh, spared no expense. Um, f- absolutely fantastic. 10 out of 10 would recommend. Yeah. Good. We, we like to spoil our guests. Yeah, we, we spare yes. no expense. Well, right. and, and I mean, keep this up and, you know, I may never leave. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so uh, I guess that that's a perfect uh, opportunity to invite any of you excellent listeners. If you'd like to join us on any of these these episodes... You may or may not um, be flown out to a undisclosed location to help us out with this podcast and give us your excellent knowledge. Would strongly recommend the steak and lobster I had for breakfast this morning was phenomenal. Surf and turf, okay. Yeah, if you uh, if you like history and or you like music, or if you don't like history or music, actually, if you don't like history or music, we want you to come on the podcast. Yeah, we, we talked to a lot of people and they're all intimidated saying, you guys... Like, I don't want to get on because I don't know much about history and, and music and music history. And it's it, t- like, first of all, it's not about music history. It's about the history that's contained within the music. And uh, and second of all, we, we study this like just a couple days before we're Wikipedia diving. So it's not like it's not like we're uh, experts here I- anyway. So don't be don't be intimidated. Come come right in. Yeah. And uh, don't worry about looking like a gomer because Scott and I will do that for free. <laughs> yeah. Can confirm. I can confirm. Thank you. Um, so, Andrew, you're here with us. How's it going? How are you doing? Uh, like I said, good. I'm just, I mean, I have to keep the servants and valets away from, from here just so I can report, record this podcast. It's been wonderful. Awesome. awesome. But me personally, so, also doing well. Good, good. Let, let, the, let the people get to know you a little bit. What, what, what's your... Uh, I guess what's your history with music? Like your taste? What what you what what do you like? Tell us about yourself, man. So yes, so as was mentioned, um, I'm a relative of the pod, 
Um, Sean is my brother. Uh, growing up, he's talked about his taste in music. My taste in music was not that. This is true. I'm also these 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 two gentlemen have talked about these uh, chats on Twitter that I am also not a part of. So I'm definitely an outsider here. Um, <clears throat> my taste in music largely is weird and random and all over the place. Uh, but one thing that I return to oftentimes again and again is kind of this um, folk punk type style, like uh, Flogging Molly, Dropkick Murphys, Pogues, those types of guys. I think so, that comes naturally with being a redhead. Awesome. Like when you're a redhead, you just gravitate to anything that's Scott Irish in any form. That's true. Yeah, so that that's the question. Did did you uh, consciously lean into that, or is it just like a natural pull? You know, it's just it's, it's who I am, I guess. Nice in your yeah, blood. That's good to hear. It's in my blood, and uh, I'm a, I'm a contrarian by choice and nature, I suppose. So this is the style of music that's usually contrary to popular stuff, I guess. I mean, just it's not always what's in, if that makes sense. Very punk, very punk rock. Sure. Yes. Specific mm-hmm. kind of punk rock too. I always, I always appreciate the the pipes, the bagpipes in uh, accompanying. It stirs something songs. in That's the soul. Awesome. It really does. It does something deep down. All right, so have you? Uh, what kind of music have you guys been listening to lately? We talk about this sometimes, Scott. But what have you guys been listening to recently besides the Pogues? <laughs> I feel bad. I always put Scott on the spot. He's like, quick, crap, let me pull up my Spotify real quick and find out the last 10 songs I listened to. No, that, that's exactly, that's exactly I mean, what I could tell you right now. My, my kids, my kids get really into music and lately my, my children have requested to on repeat the song from the Hobbit, Misty Mountains Cold, whether they're singing it, piano or anything, they don't care. They just, they really like it. Bass. So that's, that's been on repeat. Yeah, my boys that's tell awesome. me to play that whenever bass, it's like rainier. It, based in Hobbit pilled. Actually, they are dwarves. You're right. So it is dwarven pilled. When, uh, whenever it's like misty or foggy or rainy outside, my boys do the same thing. They want to play. Dad, play that. Play that Misty Mountain song. And as a joke, I'm like, Oh, Misty Mountain Top. I'm gonna play some Led Zeppelin. Like, no, not this one. <laughs> nice. I guess on that same theme, I like to uh, sing hymns to my kids. History and music podcast based. And uh, yeah. No. He's singing our, our own podcast lines. Although um, <laughs> my, my son recently asked me, he's like, do all dads have podcasts? <laughs> Actually, like, no, you should have said should. yes, because they probably do. <laughs> At least our generation, do all dads have podcasts? <laughs> yes, son, they do. <laughs> one day, one day you can have a podcast. I know. And, and what's funny is like 20 years ago, 25, 30 years ago, it was everyone started a band. Now everyone starts a podcast. Yeah. It is easier to be a podcast, I think. Yeah, that's true because um, you have to have a lot less talent to do what we do. That's yeah, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm willing to start a band. I uh, can't sing, can't play anything, but I'm I'm there if you are. Yeah, sweet. If you can uh, play cowbell, yeah, got it. Well, uh, anyway, so I, I play, I sing hymns to my kids, and they've been really into Battle Hymn of the Republic. It's a good one. So I've been singing that every night. And Civil War Sarah song. That's a good one. It is really good. I've been listening to a lot of Gunship lately. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I like Gunship. That yeah. one song. What's that yeah. one song? Uh, the one about the nuclear Armageddon war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the one narrated by John Carpenter in the beginning. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, that's a good one. I can't remember the name of it offhand, but that's like their. That's that's one of their popular ones. It's a good one. Yep. Nice. Yeah. Oh, uh, 
speaking of bands nobody cares about anymore, Blink-182 has a new single out. I don't know if you've listened yeah. to it, Scott, but I listened to it the other day. It's, it's funny because the, the song's called Edging, um, mm-hmm. and it, it came out like literally like three days ago. And uh, it sounds like the lyrics sound like old Blink, like a lot of swearing in there. But when you listen yep. to Tom sing, it doesn't sound like his voice anymore. It sounds like they've it definitely like matured, you know? It's not yeah. like that, where are you? It's it's definitely exactly. a little more... Uh, he's got auto-tune yeah. going. He's got the auto-tune. He's been, yeah. he's, been, he's been made fun of so much for that that Tom DeLong voice that I think he's trying to... I don't yeah. Know. I don't know. I disliked that song, though. I don't know. I actually You, did, you disliked it? Yeah. Oh, you, you did? Oh, geez, man. I'm sorry. I didn't even see your tweet. Oh, is, the, is the podcast going to break up and I'm, am I here to see <laughs> <laughs> over, no, the, dude, over a blink there, song. there are so yes. there are so many tweets flying around although yeah it would be fitting uh that we break up over a blink song because I, like I, I give them i give them i give them 18 months and they're done although Again. the last song you posted in the chat was a blink song by the way yeah it was because they announced that they were releasing us it, it was like the day before when they announced that it was coming out I was yeah, I saw that because they're, they're doing a tour, and then you posted that song. I was like, "Dude, the party mm-hmm. song." I haven't heard this song since I was like sixteen. But yeah, um, yeah. and then they, and then I, I saw they had. I was working in the garden. And I saw they had a uh, a new single, so I listened to it. I was like, "Okay, you know, I can roll with this." Yeah, I won't listen to it around my kids, but you know, for sure. Yeah, that that that's kind of the sad thing with Blink is uh, you have to be selective of when you're listening if you yeah. have kids. Yeah. Anyway. So we digress. No, it's okay. It's part of it's part of the experience, man. So the song yeah. we're talking about today is, and this is the name of the song, and the band played Waltzing Matilda. Now, Andrew, you suggested this song. So yes. um, the song was originally written in 1971 by a guy named Eric Bogle or Bogle. I think it's Bogle. The version that we're doing is one that came out in 1985 by the Pogues. They're fairly similar, but that's just a little bit of background on the song. So you suggested this song. I'm familiar with it. I had heard of it before as well. I actually had suggested it as well. And then when you suggested it too, we thought, oh, let's just have both Oborns come on and just dominate the podcast. So why'd you pick this song? (laughs) Every week. (laughs) So why'd you pick this song? What's your experience with this song, The Pogues, Eric Bogle, or what have you? So I was uh, an Eric Bogle bro before I knew I was an Eric Bogle, Bogle bro. bro. Yeah, Bogle bro. Uh, <laughs> reason being is he's written... It's definitely not true. Yeah. yeah. He's written a couple of songs that I really like that I didn't know that he had written. This being one, um, and a lot of his songs have had covers done by The Pogues, Dropkick Murphys, and Similar Ilk. Uh, and some of those songs were ones that I liked and I didn't know that he was kind of the culprit until a few weeks ago when I was uh, researching to submit, you know, to the pod, um, some of my recommendations. And that's when I found out, oh, hey, there's this Eric Bogle guy who's actually not Australian, by the way. So that's that's my history with him. The Pogues, honestly, it's just onesie twosies. Um, this is the song that I like the most by them, the one that I listen to the most. And I probably couldn't name any others off the top of my head right now. My um, one of the songs I'll say my wife brought into the marriage because I wasn't familiar with the song beforehand. But there's a song by the Pogues. It's a Christmas song called "The Fairy Tale of New York" or "Fairy Tale of New York City," something like that. And it's a it's a a, a duet between the Pogues and this chick named 
Kirsten McNichol or something like that, some other singer. But it's a Christmas song about Christmas in New York City, but it's kind of funny because they say some not kosher words in the song. <laughs> but uh, but we listen to it. But my wife plays it basically every every Christmas because um, it's kind of a funny sort of Irishy kind of Christmas song. Nice. I'll have to look that one up later. Yeah. So I I had heard of this song. Um, for those that don't know, our mother, my Andrew's mother, served her mission in Australia. So when she came home, hi mom, hi mom, shout out, sister Oborn. Um, so when when uh, she'd talk about her mission, she would often talk about just sort of Australian isms and idioms, and because uh, she served in Sydney, Australia, and the song and the band played Waltzing Matilda is written by a guy who was in Australia at the time, although not Australian, but it's kind of an Australian song about an Australian soldier. And the song and the band played Waltzing Matilda references an actual Australian song called Waltzing Matilda, if anyone can follow that at all. So the song <laughs> Waltzing Matilda is an Australian song from like 1895 written by an Australian guy. And the song we're talking about today references that song. That song is a kind of a pseudo patriotic song in Australia as well. Yeah, it's sort of like it's sort of like their Yankee Doodle, I guess, or like their you know My Country Tis of Thee, where it's not their national anthem, but it's kind of their unofficial na- national anthem. Huh, and okay. the song, the song "Waltzing Matilda," because um, I was in, in you know as I was going through the uh, the the, the uh, catacombs in my various libraries in preparation for uh, this this. Uh, show the song waltzing matilda was originally just a poem that this guy wrote and the author is a guy named banjo patterson it was again australian wrote it in 1895 and it's what they call a bush ballad i think to us it'd be like what we consider like a country song or like a trail song or something like that where it's kind of like sort of like their version of country basically but 1895 so it's more like a folk song but this guy was Australian, and I thought when I was reading about this guy that wrote Waltzing Matilda, Banjo Patterson, I thought he'd be some kind of like hillbilly, you know, backwoodsy guy from the outback. The guy was an academic and a journalist, actually. So, um, sorry about that. But he um, he kind of wrote this song Waltzing Matilda, and if you listen to the original Waltzing Matilda, we won't play it, but we can reference it in the show notes. It's like 150% Australian. It's got so many Australian isms and slang in there that you almost don't know what they're singing about. Because he's singing about like being near a billabong in a kulaba, you know, leaning next to a kulaba tree, waiting for your billy to boil and your waltzing Matilda across the outback. And you're like, what does any of that mean? And you 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 <laughs> shove a jumbuck in your Tucker bag. Yeah, you shove a jumbuck in your Tucker whoa, bag. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Can we the say swatter, that? The swatter comes on his thoroughbred, and you jump in the billabong, and it's yeah. like what? It's like he's we're, trying to communicate with me. <laughs> we're gonna have to mute a bunch of those words, I think. Yeah. Well, none, of, none of them are curse words. They're all just freaking Aust- Aussie slang, yeah. you know. It, so. it, so- it sounds vaguely the- uh, inappropriate. <laughs> Sounds vague. Yeah, vaguely, yeah. vaguely wrong. Um, so we we, we so- have to be careful here, otherwise the entire continent of Australia might. Uh, might start attacking the uh, the hemster campus. That's true. Um, 
Yeah, but uh, we love Australia. Our friends down there's under. Actually, there's actually there's actually boomerangs hitting the window now as we speak. <laughs> it's really weird. <laughs> I can hear a didgeridoo in the distance. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's their battle cry. It's all right. We'll, we'll but, get our bagpipes out and we'll we'll counter it with yeah. this song. Anyway, so what what I'm what I'm what I was getting at on this one, and I'll, I'll I'll finish it here, is that so this guy, his name's actually Andrew Patterson, but he wrote the he wrote the the um, poem anonymously. And he called, and the author at the time he wrote it, he just he wrote the author is the banjo, which was a name of like his favorite mule or something as a kid. But the whole idea of this song is it's a guy or instrument or favorite instrument, yeah. So it's a guy who is the, the original song Walting Matilda is about a what they call a bagman who is basically just a, a sort of a transient wanderer hobo. It's why we call man. him swagman. Excuse me, swagman. And they basically wander the outback, just sort of camping and living off the land. And the the waltzing Matilda is a term that means a specific thing, which is he's carrying his bedroll and his tent stuff with him on his back. And if you think think like the old Looney Tunes shows when they'd like quote unquote pack up or whatever, and they'd have like a stick with a polka dot bag on the back with like all yeah. their bed in it. Yeah, that yeah. is the exact thing that he's talking about. Waltzing Matilda literally means wandering through the outback carrying something like that. Are you serious? That's what would, yeah, it doesn't mean a dance yeah. at all. Ma- Matilda, like, Matilda's the name of the pack. Like the, the, yeah, the Matilda's the name of that thing yeah. on his back. Waltzing refers to wandering or walking through the outback, and no one knows where these words come from. Oh it's just goodness. Australians being Australians. <laughs> they they are ridiculous. I swear, Auss- Aussie Bros stay winning. Winning. Yeah. Br- Brit- British British cells uh, stay stay mad. Yeah, I just lost it. Stay mad. Yeah. Stay um, seething. That's that's what I was thinking. Yeah. About. So, but anyway, so that that's the song, and and so the idea is is it's it's a purely Australian song from 1895, and it was it's it's been popular ever since. It's been covered a gazillion times. Every Australian knows it, and it's played. The song "Waltzing Matilda" is played at a lot of just Australian events to celebrate Australianness, if you will. And so it's sort of like the symbol of Australia. Got it. A good um, cover of it. That's not pretty modern. Slim, dusty Australian guy does a very good job. So if you want to yeah, do some, some homework hipsters out there, go listen to that. All right. These are some good names. we got banjo. We got slim. Yeah. Slim dusty is like an Australian, like singer, songwriter, folk ballad kind of guy. And his version of the song was actually broadcast from the Columbia shuttle to earth based um based but yeah one last thing i'll add because uh, you know me i'm a fun fact kind of guy banjo patterson the guy that wrote waltzing matilda wrote one other uh poem which everyone may be familiar with and this poem is from 1890 so it's even older than waltzing matilda and it's called the man from snowy river which the movie the man from snowy river or the show is based on this dude's poem because the wow. guy used to live in snowy river so, well, um, my my, uh, my sister is named Jessica, and she's named after that movie, the girl in that movie. Oh no way! Yeah, my mom loves that movie. So, Snowy River Bros. There you go. There's your origin right there. Man from Snowy River. Same guy that wrote Waltzing Matilda wrote Man from Snowy River. Cool. The, the I'm gonna I'm gonna share that. I'll share that fun fact with my mom. Nice, nice. Sister unfortunately, Gifford. she unfortunately I don't think she listens. Maybe I'll make her listen to this one. Say, mom, you gotta listen to it. There's a bombshell you gotta listen to in the pod. Yeah, yeah. There's, yeah. Tell her, tell her. There's a, there's a, um, an, an Easter egg in this in the <laughs> podcast for her. 
I will. So that's Waltzing Matilda, and that is a lot of preamble crap to get to, and the band played Waltzing Matilda. Some good context. Um, Lots of it. Yeah. So uh, how, how do you guys want to do this? I, I, I've given quite a bit of context already. Um, should we kind of give a, a, I a think, slight honestly, background on if, the song itself or what? If we jump into the lyrics, the first verse says gives its time and place and what's going on in the world. Sweet. Um, I will say this, the only preamble I'm going to say on this song. The song was written by Eric Bogle, who's, as we discussed, who's actually from Scotland. He's a Scottish guy who went to Australia in his like mid-20s and wrote this song kind of shortly after coming to Australia. So I think he's considered an honorary Australian, but he's not actually Australian, but he does live in Australia. He wrote it in Australia about Australia. He's lived there for some time. Yes. And the song that we're talking about and the band played Waltzing Matilda itself was written in 1971. So it's not from the era of World War One, but we'll kind of get so, to that. Actually, you know what? Here's some more preamble stuff before I even get there. Um, when he wrote this song, um, a lot of people were thinking that he was talking about what, what was going on in the world at that time, what conflict was going on. Vietnam. Vietnam. Yep. So a lot of people thought he was talking about Vietnam. Um, and he, he was, but he was using world war one to do it because this song is spoiler alert, an anti-war song. So not just about world war one and the horrors of world war one, but about all wars and with, with uh, Vietnam being fresh in the world's mind at that time when it was written. Yeah, he said he said he got the idea for this song because he he said he was always a huge Eric Bogle always said he was a fan of World War One and when he was a kid like in the fifties he bought a bunch of like World War One like books and just read them all and he learned all about Gallipoli and all this stuff and so he was always kind of like a World War One uh, you know appreciator but he shortly after getting to Australia he watched a military parade. And at the time, the Vietnam War was going on, and sort of the idea for this song just came to him. This idea of a soldier being sent away to war, coming back sort of like a broken man, and thinking about what was it all for. But rather than setting it in Vietnam War, the current conflict, he put it in World War One. But Andrew's right, yeah. So it it's supposed to kind of reference the Vietnam War. But a lot of what he talks about, though, is very true to life for people that were in, frankly, both wars. But without further ado, Andrew, since you suggested this song, do you want to um, kind of read the first stanza there? Yes. So the first, the first, um, and in this song, there's no real chorus. There's just a single line that repeats, but we'll get there. Uh, so the first line goes, now when I was a young man, I carried me pack and I lived the free life of a rover from the Murray's green basin to the dusty outback. Well, I waltzed my Matilda all over. Then in 1915, my country said, son, it's time you stopped rambling. There's work to be done. So they gave me a tin hat and they gave me a gun and they marched me away to the war. Yeah, 1915, war. There's only one war going on at that time, and that's the Great War. It had been going on for a year at this time because it started in 1914. Yep, um, and, and it gives you where he's coming from, just saying the outback. Oh, yeah. Okay, I know. Yeah. And I think the Murray's Green Basin is just a different part of Australia that's green as opposed to the outback, which is kind of like. Oh, I look, yeah, I looked dry. it up. It's a geographical area. It's a geographical area where uh, kind of rivers come together and, and empty out into two major basins, the Murray and the Darling Rivers. 
Yeah, and it says I waltz my Matilda all over. So that, that you would think he's talking about, oh, I was dating this girl named Matilda or we were married and I was dancing with her everywhere. He's actually just talking about being kind of a, a rover, as he says, a wanderer who's wandering the outback with his Matilda, his knapsack or his bag basically on his back. The Matilda is his bag. <laughs> and the waltzing refers to yes. wandering. All right. So so that makes sense. The, the line uh, where it says, son, it's time to stop rambling. There's work to uh-huh. be done. So. So th- that didn't really fit as well when I thought it was just being with the like dancing, dancing stop with walking girl. around with the woman and come and come. Well, yeah. something that's interesting about this, too, is at least in this point, and I don't think I'm not a World War One historian, but I don't think that there was a draft in the British Empire at the time. So, Sean, there initially there was not. But then they did initiate a draft, I believe, later on in the war because, spoiler alert, everybody later died on. and they ran okay. short of men. So at this time the there Australian- wasn't – Well, the, but the thing is, is these this is Australians, right? So they're still part of the Commonwealth at the time. But from what I was studying, the Australians never had the draft here. Australians were 100% volunteer in this war. Yes, um, so that line, it's time you stop rambling. There's work to be done. People have taken issue because that sounds like, oh, there was a draft, even though there wasn't. Um, but I can imagine big countries advertising for the young men to go to war, making it attractive for them. Yeah, um, that, that was a and plus th- that was a big thing was their their uh, their tactics on how they sold the war and and how they got guys to sign up. They would like sign up together. Your your neighborhood can sign up together. You all. All your boys you grew up with can go out together yeah. and fight a your war. school class. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, what they'd also do is they'd have the young women. Mm-hmm. Um, the British Empire did this. They'd have the young – like the single young gals go out. And if you were a young man that was like able-bodied and, and not in uniform or hadn't enlisted, they'd give you a white feather to basically say that you're a coward. You're yeah. showing cowardice. Yeah. So – Fairy. Yeah. Um, the other thing too for the history cells out there, it says they gave them a tin hat – uh, they actually didn't. They were not using helmets at this time in the war. So they did not have a tin hat. Just a fun fact. Yes. Um, so as we go on in this, I think it's important to note that the song is written retrospectively. At the end of the song, he's speaking more like it's it's more current in his life. He's he's reminiscing or remember, not reminiscing, he's remembering what's going on in, at this time of his life. And so when he says it's time you stop rambling, there's work to be done. In my mind, that's like a callback to, like we had mentioned earlier, just the advertising and the government's just strongly recommending the young men to go out there and enlist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this is a guy that didn't. It, it seems like he's a single guy who didn't have any other prospects. He didn't. He was. He was literally wandering through the outback. You know, like just camping out, basically. Well, with the song Waltzing Matilda being as popular as it is, I wonder, and I don't know this, maybe some Australian thoroughbred can answer this, but was this a popular thing at that time and before? Because um, I think, I imagine, you know, World War One was kind of the coming of the 19th century into the 20th century, and a lot of things changed in that war and after. But I wonder if, if you know, like he says, living the free life of a rover was a more popular thing amongst young men or young people or just people in general at that time. Hmm. I think it was. I know that um, from my research, it was a thing. They don't really do it so much anymore, but it was really popular during like economic downturns. So during Australia's like 
great depression for example that's kind of what dudes would go do like oh there's no jobs i'll just go live in the outback and get my billy can and boil it over a fire and and you know kind of live off the land so to speak and this is basically that era but maybe it was a popular thing to do i don't know that's interesting popular enough i guess yeah but the song goes on to say and the band played waltzing matilda as the ship pulled away from the key key it's spelled quay, but pronounced key. And it says, and amidst all the cheers, the flag waving and tears, we sailed off for Gallipoli. So there's right there is, you know, he's Australian sailing for Gallipoli. Um, Gallipoli, for those who don't know, is in modern day Turkey. Um, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But that's where it is. Um, it's, it's specifically the Gallipoli Peninsula, which is an extremely narrow peninsula that the British and what they call the Anzac soldiers, Anzac is Australia, New Zealand Army Corps, um, attempted to take from the the Turks, or at this time they were called the Ottoman Empire. Right. Very strategic place to get. Yeah. So, okay, so that was like the, that's kind of like the sword of the chorus. So yeah, amidst all the cheers, the flag waving and tears, we sailed off for Gallipoli. That's Gallipoli. Scott, do you, do you want to um, take the next well, little verse? We don't have to read quick, this whole real thing. Real quick before before we do that, um, I, I think that third line, amidst all the cheers, the flag waving and tears, that, that line is very important because later on in the song, we, we see the inverse of that and we'll get there. And I was going to talk about Gallipoli for a minute, but we've already gone a long time. The Gallipoli campaign was terrible. So, oh yeah, but we're still we're still, get, we're still getting there. The Gallipoli campaign is is just starting, bro. At this point, yes, yes. Yep, that, that's kind of the the meat of the song, I think. The Gallipoli stuff. Oh yeah, 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 totally. So Scott, do you want to do you want to do the the next uh, verse, like the and how well I remember that terrible day? Yep, and how well I remember that terrible day. How our blood stained the sand and the water, and of how in the hill they called Suvla Bay. We we were butchered like lambs at the slaughter. Johnny Turk, he was waiting. He'd primed himself well. He showered us with bullets, and he rained us with, with shell. And in five minutes flat, he'd blown us all to hell, nearly blew us right back to Australia. Okay, so this the reason why he's wording it this way is because history cells know Gallipoli for Australians and New Zealanders is basically their d-day like our d-day you know we were watching saving private ryan where mm-hmm. it's like this massive like loss of life super traumatic B- big amphibious um, uh yeah amphibious attack. landing kind of this hopeless kind of attack you know that's that's basically gallipoli but worse because, because they, they failed essentially yes because number one they didn't get any objective the ottomans won in the end and um at least in um Well, I I was going to say element of surprise, but no no one had the element of surprise. But they um, a couple a couple of things to call out here. It says that they're in this hell called Suvla Bay. Suvla Bay is one of the bays or beaches near Gallipoli. There were some action. There was some action there, but that's not actually where they landed. The place they landed is a place they literally call Anzac Cove. Um, so that's just a, a minor thing. He said the reason why he wrote Suvla Bay in there is because it was easier to rhyme that. But he also <laughs> said because at the time he wrote it, there was a sort of a general misunderstanding under uh, from Australians that that's where all the action happened. And it wasn't until later they learned it was actually at Anzac Cove. But it says Johnny Turk, he was waiting, referring to the Turks, obviously, the, the Ottomans. The, what he's referring to here 
is part of the reason why they selected this this strategy because the the Gallipoli campaign was like a ten month campaign on the Gallipoli Peninsula. And it started in February of 1915 all the way to January of 1916. But the main amphibious landings were in April. And um, and the idea was Winston Churchill had some faulty uh, intel on the situation. And it was thought that the Ottomans slash Turks were not good soldiers. Mm-hmm. They didn't have very many men. They were under-equipped, understaffed, undergunned everything. And that there was a total surprise. There, there was going to be a surprise and that no one would know that the Brits and the Anzacs are coming. And they basically just kind of catch them with their pants down. That was kind of the idea based on the intel that Winston Churchill had. Turns out when they got there, none of those things were true. The Turks knew they were coming and knew like months in advance. They had so much time to prepare. It was embarrassing. And so they had, they, they had like gun emplacements trained on exactly where these guys were going to land. They had barbed wire set up so they couldn't get over. They had trenches dug. They had like reserve trenches dug. They had like tons of, they had like 16 divisions that were there on this peninsula. So it ended up being just a complete bloodbath for the Brits, because they they arrive and the Turks know they're there and they already have their guns aimed down onto the beaches. And so you've kind of seen Saving Private Ryan where they're sort of almost like kind of running up the beach and there's like these heights kind of above where the Germans are shooting from. Gallipoli is that on steroids. It's like actual mountains. Like it's, there's a very small beach, which is like a thousand feet wide, 2000 feet wide, super, super small beaches. And they basically go a couple hundred feet in to almost like a straight cliff face that's covered in like these like thorns and briars and bushes. And these Australians have to like scale that somehow as they're getting shot and blown to pieces by artillery. It's just complete nightmare situation. And, um, so in the words of Dan Carlin, a friend of the pod, a meat grinder, (laughs) a meat grinder. Exactly. Right. Um, so like just to give you some perspective, one of the plans for the uh, for the for the Brits or the Anzac soldiers to to attack is they had this ship there called the SS River Clyde, and it was basically like a um, a ship they kind of requisitioned. It wasn't a, a battleship; it was like a transport ship they requisitioned for the war, and they cut holes in the side of it. And the idea was is to basically turn this thing into like a, I don't know if you'd call it like an almost like a armored beachhead landing thing because the idea was they were gonna they were gonna beach the the ship on the shore, and then the guys were gonna run these these gang planks these gangways out the sides of the holes in the ship they had they had carved in there, and they'd come out the side of the ship and kind of and then attack the, the beaches and kind of have like this sort of covered assault on the beaches right well that happened they beached the ship and the guys got out and of um i was just reading about this last night actually of the uh let's see i believe it was of the 500 men that came out of there 21 actually made it to the beach oh my goodness because the turks saw them there and quite literally just trained a machine gun right on where they were running out and just there's bottleneck. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So, so it's, it's when, when, when we, we can't understate how like brutal this was 
for these these guys. I mean, like yeah. I said, like private like saving private Ryan, we've seen that, right? I mean, that's that's D Day. That was brutal for us, but that was a little bit more of a fair fight. This was so one sided that the attack at least that it was like just complete hell for these guys. And the problem what what really sucks is that they the Brits and and Anzac, they uh they thought it would be a slam dunk. Like they, they really did think they'd just go in and and sweep them. Um, oh, they, like, they thought it was going to be a cakewalk. They, they, they didn't. So they they didn't even like. They didn't even like sweep for mines in the water. Like yeah. they didn't do anything. <laughs> yeah. like, like, they, like their initial attack. They going into the strait. Like that gets them into like going towards Istanbul. They like. I think they lost like six ships or something. Like initially. Oh, the Dardanelles. Yeah, we didn't even talk about the Dardanelles. So, so they had to, they the... had to like retreat and then go hit the other beaches towards the on the north side right. of, the, of Gallipoli. So it's like yeah, they, they totally well, and... screwed up. And the part of the reason they're doing this is because the Ottomans at that time, the Ottoman Empire is now Turkey. They don't exist anymore, but um, they were they were considered like the dead man of Europe. They were basically like this six hundred year old empire that was sort of dying and kind of a has been. And they weren't in the war yet, but they were sort of blocking the uh, the approach to Russia and to Germany. And so mm -hmm. the idea from the allies was, well, let's just punch through where Istanbul is because it's so narrow right there that you can get some ships through there and it's pretty easy to kind of, you know, get, get through there. And so the, the British had this bright idea to quite literally like run a gauntlet because the Dardanelles in some areas are, is only a mile wide. It's very narrow mm -hmm. and it goes right through Istanbul and other areas. And so their idea was, oh, I've got it. Let's take all of our old obsolete ships from like the last war and just try and straight up run them through the Dardanelles. And so they they have all these old like coal burning steamers from like the 1800s basically. And they they had some modern ships there, but they uh they had the, 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 because the Turks had so much advanced warning this was happening, they, they heavily mined the path through the Dardanelles mm -hmm. and they had a bunch of mine. Um, what do they call them? Like the mine layer ships, the Brits had them where they get rid of the mines, like the ships that pick mine up sweepers, mine sweepers, mine. Thank you. They had mine sweepers, but the mine sweepers the Brits had were all crewed and manned by civilians. So when they, during the initial Dardanelles attack, once the Turks started firing on the ships, all the minesweepers crewed by these civilians fled the scene. Oh. And so like basically every ship that the French and British threw at this, at this gauntlet of mines and ships and mortars and, and everything else, none of them made it. Not one made it. Yeah. They, they all retreated. Was, yeah. Like, it was just almost immediately. Yeah. It was just complete slap in the face. Well, and then it, after that, they're like, well, let's try, let's try Gallipoli. And to, uh, I, I guess, get into like more of like the the story of this soldier. He's going into this, not like trusting, right? He's trusting his the 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 intel that his leadership is giving him. But they're more focused on the Western Front anyway. And so th this is just supposed to be like, all right, go take care of this. We need to go sure up the, the Ottoman, like the Ottoman over here. And so and so they, they just got screwed over. Yeah. Well, this is also a transition period in, in the Great War because for the first like six months to a year of the Great War, it was very mobile warfare. People were still using cavalry of all things, doing cavalry charges with sabers and all kinds mm -hmm. of crazy stuff like old school warfare because 
they hadn't quite grasped how deadly machine gun fire and artillery fire can be. Yeah. And it hadn't. And, and so in basically 1915 is kind of when the great war became trench warfare that we all know that, it, that it's known for. Right. So Gallipoli sort of was happening during this transition period, but before everyone realized it. And so I think that's the other reason too, is still like, all right, men with a lot of go get them, you guys can charge up this mountain here and take this, this objective. And it's just ended up how every other battle in world war one ended where it's like, okay, yep. Everyone is dead and nothing was accomplished. Yep. Okay. Um, unless you're hiding in a trench, like you're going to just get mowed down by machine guns. Yeah. No chance. At and all. so that's what ended up happening was just like, they just like trenched and just, and held their line on the on the beaches right yep that's why the gallipoli campaign is 10 months long and at the end they made it like i think a half mile or a mile in that's it and they were supposed to go like five miles in well, well and uh, and on top of this like apparently the the british leadership was like non-existent once they got there like they didn't know what to do and so the, yeah. the, guy, the guys w- would like trench in and all, all they could do was sit there and wait and just like I guess slowly diminish as their guys get slowly killed by by artillery as well as um, machine gun fire, and so like they're just sitting there like, what what are we supposed to be doing? And and, and the British just com- like the the leadership just completely dropped the ball. Yeah. Well, and what ends up happening here is they're sitting there for so long that it becomes from the cold months to the hot months and all these dead bodies, thousands of them, hundreds of thousands of them just laying out there, not able to be buried, mm-hmm. start contracting every kind of disease. Yeah. And so all of a sudden you've got like tens of thousands of guys who get just super sick and start dying of disease and have to get evacuated out of there because of just, there's just so, it's just, it's just so unclean, so unsanitary that like- the uh, like the British had almost eighty thousand men evacuated for just sickness from that. The French had twenty thousand men evacuated for just sickness. It's insane. Like not even not this isn't even like war wounds or you know anything else or shell shock. Just sickness because it was so uh, unsanitary there from all the dead bodies in the air and all the flies that that come come as a result of that. But yeah, we yeah, you hear about this like this trench warfare, like in inland right on like the french german border that type of thing yeah but but do it but doing it on on a beach like this i feel like it's it'd be a different it'd be a whole different animal it's similar but it, but it's you think it's a little bit different anyway yeah we can keep going so let, let, let's keep going though andrew do you want to take the next line we're not we don't have to go this whole thing like yeah. i said because it's a fairly long song but eh. so uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna read the next uh it's a semi-chorus but the band played Waltzing Matilda when we stopped to bury our slain. We buried ours and the Turks buried theirs. Then we started all over again. Um, while you guys were talking, I was looking up some some statistics. So on the first landing day, there was about 16,000 um, Anzac, which is Australian and New Zealanders, who landed. And at the end of the day, 2,000 of them died, which is one-eighth. One-eighth of the Australian and New Zealanders were killed just in that one, one day. Wow. Not including any other casualties from... <laughs> Um, injury or whatever uh, and it only gets worse for him from there um yeah at the, the, next at the end of the verse... campaign at the end of the campaign the the australian soldiers alone just australia not even new zealand just australia suffered suffered 50 casualties that means half their guys are dead or wounded 
So when he says in five minutes flat, they've blown us all to hell, that's like not, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but not that much. Not much. Okay. No, not oh, really. One thing, sorry. I, I'm, 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 I'm going to shut up after this, but um, <laughs> where it says um, when we stopped, when we, yeah, <laughs> when we stopped to bury our slain, we buried ours, the Turks buried theirs. That actually happened. So after the first few bits of fighting, and the, the death toll was so bad that they literally had they literally called us a, a small truce just on this battlefield just to bury their dead. And it's very reminiscent of the Christmas truce mm-hmm. from 1914, um, where everyone kind of stopped fighting for Christmas. Very similar situation here where the Turks and the um the Brits and the Anzacs basically kind of called a temporary truce just to go bury all their dead. So they did that, you know, they kind of you know, waved the Turks a little bit, kind of shared some small camaraderie moments, and then right the next day went right back to killing each other again. It's very, very interesting. That is, and it kind of happened sort of arbitrarily, just randomly. So I'm you go, Andrew. Yeah. Uh, okay. The next verse. Um, and those that were left, well, we tried to survive in that mad world of blood, death, and fire. And for ten weary weeks, I kept myself alive, though around me the corpses piled higher. Then a big Turkish shell knocked me, I don't know if that's arse or ass, whatever it is. It's arse. Overhead. Arse. Uh, and when I woke up in my hospital bed and saw what it had done, well, I wished I was dead. Never knew there were worse things than dying. Um, keep go, something, keep on on point, something I want to point out here. The Pogues change 10 weary weeks to seven long weeks. And I tried to figure out why. Um, and when I was researching, the best thing I could come up with was during the entire Great War, uh, World War One, the average life expectancy of a soldier was six weeks. So I'm not sure if that's this guy beating the odds a little bit in the average life expense expectancy over the entire war or if it has any significance at all. Hmm. That's crazy. Well, and the actual campaign was 10 months. Yes. 10 weeks is a long time. to In this war, it's a very long time to, to, to not die. Yeah, because yeah, typically so they, they'd, they'd at least like uh, cir- cycle them out, cycle yeah. them out like the front lines. But yeah. when the, the the corpse is piling higher, line reminds me of what you said that this the bodies rising and rising and rising, and they they can't bury them fast enough. Yeah, by the time they got around to burying them, some of them were already skeletons. Yeah. Um. So, continuing on, um, for I'll go no more waltzing Matilda all around the green bush, far and free. To hump tent and pegs, a man needs both legs. No more waltzing Matilda for me. Yeah, so it's uh, it goes on to say to kind of explain it in more detail. But what happened here is a, a Turkish shell, so Turkish artillery, exploded next to him. He's knocked unconscious, wakes up in a hospital bed, and both of his legs are gone. And he considers that a fate worse than death. Which, and I think in a lot of ways, he's probably right. Um, so I took that to mean that maybe it might have been a little above his legs too. Yeah, we're not sure. Yeah, well, if it's worse than hell, if it's worse than hell, then if you're thinking of Matilda as a woman, yes. But yeah. in the very beginning, he he speaks very fondly of this free life of a rover walking around the wilderness and living this free life, That's which true. he can no longer do. Okay, True. that fits. That fits. But if we're going with the Vietnam theme, uh, there's a movie with a very young Tom Cruise called Born on the Fourth of July, and in that movie, Tom Cruise is kind of this young idealistic kid living in you know Middle America, and 
he goes off in a very patriotic way to go join the army. I think it's the army uh, during the Vietnam war. And his whole thinking is, Hey guys, our dads went away to fight the Nazis and the, and the Japanese in world war two. They came back as heroes. Now it's our turn. It's our chance. Right? So he goes and enlists in the Vietnam war. Spoiler alert. He gets wounded in the war. Same exact thing loses his legs, comes back in a wheelchair. And one of the things that he bemoans, and he, he becomes like this bitter, broken man, but one of the things he bemoans later on in the movie is, is he can, he he, uh, he never had a chance to be with a woman, if you will. And now that he has no legs or anything that he, he never will. And that's kind of like his one regret in, in the, in the movie. So, and, and since this is kind of along with the Vietnam theme, Vietnam era, maybe, Maybe both are true. Yeah, I wonder if that movie uh, like, kind of borrowed from this song a bit. Maybe. Maybe. But um, it says, so they gathered the crippled, the wounded, the maimed, and the maimed, and they shipped us back home to Australia. The legless, the armless, the blind, and the insane. Those proud, wounded heroes of Suvla. And as our ship pulled into Circular Quay, or Quay, I looked at the place where me legs used to be and thanked Christ there was nobody waiting for me to grieve, to mourn, and to pity. Circular Key is a bay in Sydney, Australia, by the way. Um, but then it goes on to say, but the band played waltzing Matilda as they carried us down the gangway, but nobody cheered. They just stood and stared. Then they turned all their faces away. So here we have, we've come full circle now where this, this, the song Waltzing Matilda has sort of carried this guy through to hell and back, if you will, but it's no longer, you know, waving flags and cheers. It's now embarrassment, shame, sadness, but the band is still playing Waltzing Matilda. Yeah. And, and I think it's, that's the callback from the, the first, uh, go ahead, Scott. Yeah, you're right. That is the callback. And, and it is flipped where they're leaving hero, like they're heroes for leaving, but then no one cares when they come back injured. But the but the line that says the legless, the armless, the blind, the insane, um, insane is I think referencing the shell shock that happened to a lot of uh, soldiers in World War One. It's akin to the PTSD or or something like that. That just the amount of artillery that that landed around men it drove them crazy. And the the really sad part about it is when they came home. There's so little. Uh, it was such a new thing that. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure soldiers came back with PTSD, but this was kind of a different a different flavor. The, the soldiers that came home were really looked down on for going crazy and and being cowards and and whatnot. But it but it was like actual like mental like damage that happened to these guys. Um. Anyway, so yeah, interesting. That's, that's true. Nerves. That's true. In Australia, though, I did some research on this. They actually set up hospitals for every single one of these things. So if you're blind, there's a place for you. If, if you had no arms, there's a place for you, no legs. If you were shell-shocked, there was a, a special hospital just for those people. Which oh, really? I, I, I mean, and they would do activities and jobs and things for that specific group at each one of these locations, which I thought was actually – that's actually really quite cool that Australia was able to do that, especially being a commonwealth in a small part of the war. Yeah, and, and this is – and. Like it's it's hard to blame like general society for treating shell shock the way they did because we're slowly learning what it was at the point right and and because of this we know now but um it just it's just horrible you feel for the guys yeah well and the, Gallipoli 
is like this campaign is kind of where the Australians and the New Zealanders came into their own, where this is kind of a, a turning point for them as a society. It's kind of where also the idea of being Australian as an Australian, as opposed to being subject to the queen or whatever mm. really came into being. And it's because of this. So we'll, we'll talk about this here in a minute, but this is where like being Australian, like, like the patriotic nationalist Australian sort of came into being is because of this conflict and like pride and what they accomplished and what they went through. And same thing for the New Zealanders. That makes sense. Yeah. So um, let's see, we're on, we're actually almost done. We might as well just the last first. Yeah, we, we always say that like, it, it, we're going to do the whole thing, different. reads every word. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, so I think I've been doing a lot. Scott, you want to do the next one? Yeah, is it's it? Our, yeah, we're in April. Now every April. Yeah. yeah. And, okay. And now th- this is, sorry, just before we start, this is kind of, again, I, th- I feel like before and after, there's a lot of uh, similarities to like Vietnam. Um, and I think some of the, um, we talked about earlier some of the the things that he got wrong or or that seem odd are probably pointing towards Vietnam right rather than World War One, if that makes sense. Yeah. And and again, maybe with this one as well. Anyway, I'll keep going. And so now every April I sit on my porch and watch the parade pass before me, and I see my old comrades how proudly they march reviving old dreams of past glories and the old men march slowly old bones stiff and sore they're tired old heroes from a forgotten war and the young people ask what are they marching for and i ask myself the same question what are they marching for so every april that it refers to there um australia has anzac day which is essentially originally for world war one um, so Anzac Day is basically our Memorial Day, and it has kind of turned into their Memorial Day, but originally started with these guys in World War One. Got it. And it's April. It's April. It's April twenty fifth. Yes. Okay. Cool. April twenty fifth. Yeah, because that April twenty fifth is like the first day, the first landing at Gallipoli. Is it was delayed due to bad weather, but April twenty fifth is when they actually sort of came ashore for the first time. Both the the the, the Kiwis, the, the the New Zealanders, and the um the Australians. And so after this, after this war, they celebrated Anzac day. And so that was the big day for flag waving and parades and, and celebrating your nationalist spirit. And so when he's talking about every April, he's talking about literally Anzac day when they're commemorating basically this battle. Now it's like, like Andrew said, like a Memorial day kind of thing where it's like every battle, but at the time it was just this battle that you're commemorating every April and they had the parades and all that. Yep. There you go. Um, so now he's an old bitter now, man with no legs. The Pogues, the Pogues changed some lines here to make it more graphic. So here in the original it says, "And the old men march slowly, old bones stiff and sore." Um, the the Pogues say that the men are tattered and torn. And the next line, they're tired old tired old heroes from a forgotten war. The Pogues say they're forgotten heroes of a forgotten war. Oh. And um, I like I like that the forgotten heroes of forgotten war part. Oftentimes, World War One gets overshadowed by its big brother, World War Two, uh, because of the horrors that we were taught, you know, the Holocaust and everything else. Uh, which, yes, those are horrors, not to minimize that at all. But World War One, in my opinion, I mean, every every man is assigned a war that they're obsessed with. I get just gen- generic World War One. I. I don't have the Boer War, the Winter War, the you know 
Franco-French War, whatever it is. I think that World War One is one of those wars that nobody knows. It's truly forgotten. It was over 100 years ago, and people go, oh, yeah, it happened a long time ago, but they don't know why. They don't know what it was for, and they don't know that it was just the biggest waste of human life for nothing. Right. And I think that the the, the lack of like a true bad guy is it, it's it's hard to latch on to a war where like the the reasons for fighting are so convoluted type thing um yeah but. well and if you're talking about the gallipoli campaign we've been talking about this the whole time the result officially was an ottoman victory so they lost yes. they, they, we, they, so the, the the quote unquote good guys right the anzacs the brits they lost this war the con it was 10 months long they also lost the dardanelles campaign which is a whole separate thing but just for some some idea on the scope here the the allies that's that's the um you know, Anzac, Australians, and the French, or I'm sorry, the Anzacs, the French, and the Brits, they sent a total, at the end of it, a total of 489,000 men to Gallipoli against uh, like 300-something thousand that the uh, Turks had. At the end of the day, the Brits alone, just the Brits, lost about 200,000 men. The Australians lost half their force. The New Zealanders lost basically half their force. The French lost like 9,000 killed and missing, 18,000 wounded, 20,000 evacuated sick. Like these numbers are just so large that you can't calculate. You can't, you can't fathom them. I know. And, and, and you look at it on a map and it's like, it, it's, it's like a decent sized battlefield, but it's not huge. So it's like, they're just like pouring guys in and they're dying. You just think about the, just the landmass. It's not, I don't think it, it necessarily holds that many people. Yeah. Well, and it's just like every other foreign war we've had for the past hundred years. Where is that? Where, where's Gallipoli? Where is it? Turkey? Okay. I can't even find it on a map. Exactly. Where is Vietnam? Where's Korea? You know, it's mm -hmm. the same kind of thing that everyone has. Like we have that many men die on some place. I can't even find it on a map. That's mm -hmm. insane. You well, know? And it also goes to show you, I mean, the, the tactic in World War One was largely, hey, you're going to run out of bullets before we're going to run out of dudes. So attrition. Go. Yep, attrition. Yeah. Uh, yep, it was attrition. And in this case, obviously, that, that was not – yeah. Yeah. So we're, uh, we're almost done with the song here. But um, so as Scott was saying, it says, and the young people ask, what are they marching for? And I ask myself the same question. But the band plays Waltzing Matilda, and the old men still answer the call. But as year follows year, more old men disappear. Someday, no one will march there at all. And then um, the very, uh, the very last in, line. Okay, oh, sorry. Before we get into that, yeah. Um, I think that last little stanza there, you know, someday no one will march there at all goes back to the forgotten war part. These guys just died out and no one remembered anymore. And it's just, it's a sad, it's a sad truth that's happened with this war and this battle in particular, but the war as a whole. And what's interesting, what's kind of unique, what's kind of, I guess, odd about that is they had already been forgotten about and most of them, none of them were marching in, in these parades anymore at the time he wrote this song in the 70s. Correct. Right. That's still 1971. That's still like what 50, 60 years after this battle took place. I mean, anyone would be a very old man, you know, at that time. Um, yeah. The last line, uh, the last. Go ahead. Okay. I was going to say that the last um, 
verse also verset of the song is actually also the last verse of the song Waltzing Matilda that we talked about at the beginning. I'm going to read it and then I'm, I have a, I had an epiphany while I was reading it um, that I want to share. The last verse goes, Waltzing Matilda, Waltzing Matilda, who will come a waltzing Matilda with me? And their ghosts may be heard as they march by that billabong, who will come a waltzing Matilda with me? Now in the song Waltzing Matilda, not this one, but the, the one it references, um, the swag man is going to be arrested because he shoved the jumbuck into his tucker bag. A jumbuck's like a sheep or a lamb. A tucker bag is just his sack. Um, and the police come to say, where is it? We're going to arrest you. And uh, the swag man says, you'll never catch me alive. He jumps into the billabong and drowns. And the last verse is this. As you go by the billabong, you can hear his verse or his ghost sing or say, who will come waltzing Matilda with me? And the lesson there is that the swag man would rather die than be arrested and be subject to his government. And the, the thought I had here was this soldier, after he's gone through all of this, in my mind, it, it's, it's the same thing. He would rather die than have gone through all this over again and serve his country in this way because his ghost is now heard by the billabong. You know, who's going to come waltzing Matilda with me? Hmm. Interesting. It is. A billabong is a lake, by the way. In case anyone wants to or know. just a body of water body of water in australia yeah it's also a, a sweet uh, clothing line of you know, yeah sick <laughs> yeah. um yeah sponsorship <laughs> um yeah that's interesting and my my thought too is the pogues doing this song because this is this song is from the pogues second album in, in 1985 the pogues are themselves a british band but the singer of the pogues Shane, oh, I forgot his name now. I don't think he's actually Irish. He's actually Irish. He's <laughs> he was born in England, but his parents were Irish. And so my 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 thought was is maybe he's kind of just doing some jabs to the to the redcoats in there. I don't know. Um, this whole idea of like dying dying for king and country, and they're like, well, not my king and country. I'm Australian. I'm Irish. You know, I'm New Zealander. I'm not I'm not I'm not a Brit. You know, I don't know your queen. You know, I wonder. Sometimes I wonder if maybe that's uh kind of what the over the, what, what what part of the theme here is at least when the pogues are singing it something else that is is kind of interesting here is the 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 writer of this song eric bogle he has he made it very clear in various interviews that this is an anti-war song not an anti-soldier song and it's like like we talked about before it's kind of talking about the vietnam war but he said it during the the great war um, and the original reason he wrote this song was because there was a folk song writing contest in this, in Australia, right after he moved there in like the seventies, early seventies. And he wrote this song kind of just cause he had this idea, you know, we saw he was at a military military parade and he had this idea. He wrote the song, performed it at this folk festival. And the prize was a $300 ovation guitar. <laughs> and, uh, and, he ended up not winning the competition, but this song became like massively popular and kind of started like sort of this grassroots movement for this song. And other people started record, like I started um, memorizing this song and playing it and recording it before he even knew about it. And so like he, he like go places and people had already heard the song or heard recordings of it from other people who basically heard him perform it that night or that day. And, and, uh, played it later on like in england or in you know other other parts of the, of the world wow that, that's 
That is odd and impressive. Yeah. That's really, <laughs> yeah. that's really punk rock. Yeah, and he never got the ovation guitar. <laughs> I'm sure he can afford it. It was a three hundred dollar guitar too. I mean, huh? it was three hundred dollars in 1971, though. So that's like twenty thousand dollars a day or more. <laughs> oh, it's all those probably Australian dollars though. So maybe it's like I don't know. It's probably like ten bucks. What are the, what are is it called the dollar or the? Yeah, it's an Australian dollar. Yeah. Okay. Well, cool. That that was an awesome song. I'm really glad you chose that because, like you, I'm a I, I really enjoy World War One, and uh, I th- I think my my interest in it spiked with uh with Dan Carlin with the his his blueprint uh, for Armageddon that yeah. series yeah very very so well good. done yeah. we can't we can't shill that that series enough um, yeah I will say sorry mom it's another depressing one another downer song that we did but very powerful very moving to listen to this song and just think about what like real men went through a hundred years ago. And even though this, like Eric Bogle, not a vet, never served time in the military, but he's able to convey such a depth of emotion here of like this broken man who went through such a terrible war for literally no reason, um, really is, really is amazing. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of your last episode of The Ordinary Men. You know, in that one, ordinary men were creating, you know, all kinds of atrocities. In this one, ordinary men went through all kinds of atrocities and all kinds of horrific things. Yeah, and, and and I mean he 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 suffered it from from the Ottomans, right? But he also delivered. He was a soldier, right? He he uh, he shot back. So like it's just part of it, I guess. Anyway, oh yeah, the, the Ottomans lost a quarter of a million men. Like the, the, both sides, a lot of people consider this what they call a Pyrrhic victory, or it's a victory that's so costly that you couldn't win another victory because you've been so decimated by it. So that was the idea. Yes, the Ottomans still won because the Allies never got any of their objectives, but it was so costly for both sides that both sides were completely shattered. Yeah, and and the war went on for three more years after this, which is just it's an insane, insane. war. It's so insane. crazy, and yeah, it's just the the attrition model of like just I'm just gonna we're just gonna keep going until you run out of guys or we run out of bullets or whatever. It's insane, um, yeah. or until America steps in. <laughs> Well, by then everyone was like beat to a pulp and had like there were some. I know it's like, hey, what's up? We're America, we're fresh. America's like, hey guys, sorry we're late. (laughs) Let's go ahead and just end this thing. I heard you guys are fighting. Yeah. (laughs) Well, cool, Uh, Scott. Any any last minute thoughts or uh, anything on this one, or Andrew? Any last minute thoughts on this one? I I don't have any. Andrew, you good? Yeah, I'm good. Um, I just I I would for the for those listening at home. Dig into World War One just a little bit, because uh, I almost guarantee that that most people have either family members that were directly involved or were affected by it in some way. Because, like Sean had mentioned, I mean, just the sheer loss of life. I mean, it completely changed demographics back at home and how everything happened going forward. This this war transitioned the world from horse and buggy to automobiles and and airplanes and machine guns. All those things happened like during this time frame. And so the because world, of this war, yeah, because of this war, and so this this war, World War One, it it was a it was a turning point in the world's history, um, more than a lot of other wars were, simply because of just the leaps and bounds of technology, the style of fighting, and just the sheer loss of life. Yep. Well, and the the, the the 
this war is the exact reason why we have the second world war. If this hadn't happened, this war here, or if, or if it had ended differently, we wouldn't even had world war two. Yeah. World war two is almost an extension. I mean, obviously it's it's decades later, but it's almost an extension. Yeah. Or if they just accepted Hitler into art school. (laughs) Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. It's the Vienna was the Vienna school of art. I mean, it's honestly their fault. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah, I don't have any other thoughts there, but Andrew, thanks for suggesting this song and coming on the podcast. Is there anything that you'd, we always ask us of our guests, anything that you want to plug, advertise, where can people find you if they want to follow you or get in contact with you Um, or anything? I, I, if you send up a smoke signal, I'll be able to see it. Um, Yeah, I'm on Twitter. Um, My at is at uh, Manly Fidelity. There, I do my best to be a coach for men who are trying to quit porn. Um, so I'm more than happy to to help anybody that's involved with that. My DMs are open. Cool. A noble cause. Yeah, a noble cause. And we'll post that in the, in the show notes as well in case anyone wants to follow you and get in contact with you. Other than that, Andrew, thanks for coming on, my bro. Scott, thanks for a, another great episode. And I mm-hmm. think we'll let the song play us out, right? Yes, sir. When I was a young man, I carried my pack And I lived the free life of a rover From the Murray's Green Basin to the dusty outback I waltzed my Matilda all over Then in 1915, my country said, son, it's time to stop rambling, cause there's work to be done. So they gave me a tin hat and they gave me a gun and they sent me away to the war. And the band played waltzing Matilda As we sailed away from the Kai And amidst all the tears And the shouts and the cheers We sailed off for Gallipoli How well I remember that terrible day When the blood stained the sand and the water And how in that hell that they call Sovla Bay We were butchered like lambs at the slaughter Johnny Turkey was ready He primed himself well He showered us with bullets And he rained us with shells And in five minutes flat He'd blown us all to hell Nearly blew us right back to Australia And the band played waltzing Matilda as we stopped to bury our slain and we buried ours and the Turks 
buried theirs And it started all over again Now those who were living did their best to survive In that mad world of death, blood and fire And for seven long weeks I kept myself alive Though the corpses around me pile higher Then a big Turkish shell knocked me arse over tick And when I awoke in my hospital bed And saw what it had done Christ, I wished I was dead Never knew there were worse things than dying And no more I'll go on sing Matilda So the green bushes so far and near For the hang tens and pegs A man needs two legs No more waltzing Matilda for me I collected the cripples, the wounded and mined And they shipped us back home to Australia The legless, the armless, the blind and insane Those proud wounded heroes of Sobler And as our ship pulled into Circular Quay I looked at the place where me legs used to be And thank Christ there was nobody waiting for me To grieve and to mourn and to pity And the band Played waltzing Matilda As they carried us down the gangway But nobody cheered They just stood and stared And they turned their faces away And now every April I sit on my porch And I watch the parade pass before me I see my own comrades How proudly they march Reliving the dreams of past glory I see the old men All twisted and 
torn The forgotten heroes of a forgotten war And a young people ask me What are they marching for? And I ask myself the same question And the band plays waltzing Matilda And the old men still answer the call But year after year Their numbers get fewer Someday no one will march there at all Waltzing Matilda Waltzing Matilda Go waltzing Matilda with me Oh, I forgot to talk about, uh, there's actually a movie called Gallipoli, and it's Mel Gibson's first movie when he was Australian. It's from 81. So just so you guys know, I expect royalties every time the word himster is used. <laughs>